Gather round, the witching hour draws near. I'm your haunted host, animation industry artist, witch, and overall spooky enthusiast, Jenny Calabro. Come with me as we venture into the spooky realm of entertainment and real-life ghosties in this episode of A Jaunty Haunt. Welcome back to another episode of A Jaunty Haunt. I'm really excited for you all to listen to this episode as it was really exciting for me to finally get to talk about an animated show on my podcast. My guest who you may recognize is from episode two of A Jaunty Haunt where Christian Alvarez, a designer in the animation industry, had shared with us some of his really spooky stories. This time, instead of talking about spooks and scares, we'll be looking at a popular spooky show. Over the Garden Wall, a Cartoon Network miniseries that aired back in 2014, which was created by Patrick McHale, has really become a staple classic for a lot of people to watch during the fall months. Join me and my guest as we dive into the visuals as well as the rich storytelling in this animated miniseries. Welcome back to another episode of A Jaunty Haunt, and on this very special episode, I will be talking with a familiar guest. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Say hello again. Hey guys, it's Christian again from episode one, where I talked about episode two. That's right. Episode two, where I talked about uh, my spooky run-ins at my great aunt's place and all that good stuff. I'm back to record an episode with Jenny to talk about Over the Garden Wall. Yes, I'm so excited to be talking about our first animated project on this show, which is funny because we work in animation and it's taken till episode, I think this will be three, (laughs) to actually talk about an animated (laughs) project. Yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. Before we get into the episodes, Mm -hmm. I want to warn the listeners that we will be spoiling this show. So if you have not seen Over the Garden Wall, make sure you go watch it, check it out, uh, come back and listen to this. If you don't care about spoilers, that's cool too. You're welcome to stay. The whole show is actually on Hulu right now, so easy to watch if you're on Hulu, all 10 episodes. You can watch it all within two hours, actually. Every episode's about 11 minutes, so it shouldn't take you very long to finish it. You can watch it all in an afternoon. So the show starts off with our two characters, Wirt and Greg, walking through a forest and they suddenly become aware that they don't know where they are. Greg has a frog with him whose name changes all throughout the series, so we can't really tie that name down. We'll just call him Greg's frog for now. We'll just call him Greg's frog. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. They run into a talking bluebird and uh, later a woodsman. And they're informed by the old woodsman that they're lost in the unknown which is where they are in the woods. And he warns them of this creature called the beast. Well, the kids get scared off from the old mill that they meet the woodsman in. And later they run into the talking bluebird yet again, whose name is Beatrice. We find out this time they help her out of a bush and she tells them that she kind of owes them like a life debt. She tells them that she's going to lead them out of the unknown by taking them to a woman named Adelaide. And that's all we know. But they don't really listen to her. And they end up getting sidetracked going off to a town called Pottsfield, in which there are 
pumpkin-headed characters having a very pagan-esque party, yes. which end up turning out that they are actually skeletons wearing pumpkin heads and that they are just having a celebration. And what seemed very scary ends up not being scary at all. It's just a big party. But they continue on their way. Beatrice kind of pokes fun at Wirt, saying that he will roll over and do anything, which leads them on a misadventure where he literally rolls over and does everything he's told, which gets them caught up in a schoolroom full of adorable little animals dressed in clothes and a forlorn teacher who is heartbroken, which we learn that (laughs) the man that she's in love with is actually stuck in a gorilla suit by the end of the episode and that the school that she is running is kind of falling apart and ends up relying on all of the kids to play a musical instrument at the end to raise money and save the school with the help of Wart and Greg and not so much Beatrice, who tends to just kind of sass the characters the whole way. Oh, most most definitely. The entire episode, like show, she's just super sassy to Wart especially. Greg just kind of does his own thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, let's talk about the first three episodes. So this show, all together, just an amalgamation of the entire show, it has a lot of detail, a lot of hidden meetings, a lot of things that you have to do kind of research on. Like the, you said, they go to Pottsfield. That, that's a reference to a potter's field from like what, yes. the 1800s or so on. Uh, the old grist mill, they are attacked by a giant black dog. And we actually see this dog, this particular dog, at the beginning of the show in the title cards. It's actually Beatrice's dog when she was a human. And uh, it gets turned into this giant beast-like thing because he eats a black turtle on accident. Mm -hmm. Because Greg sticks a candy on the turtle, eats the black turtle, turns into this beast that actually... He has the same eyes as the actual beast that we see the later character, in the, the show. Beast. The yes. actual character of the show. And I found that kind of interesting. And it, I, I think there's something that ties the black turtles to the beast himself, which is kind of something I never I didn't notice in the beginning. I noticed that on my first watch through back when really? the show first came out. Yeah, but I even watching it the second time through, I still couldn't figure out what the connection was between the turtles and the beast and i've even tried doing my own research on it and i still couldn't find any sort of theory as to why they're connected well the only thing that i could possibly think of was and this ties to like a theory that over the garden wall is essentially just a kid's version of dante's inferno yes and it, it pretty much is i mean every there's there's nine levels of hell supposedly and there's 10 episodes with one being the one before they entered the unknown which kind of lines up perfectly but uh my point with the black turtles is in hell supposedly there are these creatures that are essentially like ways like video cameras essentially to spy on dante and his friend that could also be like the the beast's way of keeping an eye on great work because we see the black turtles throughout the entire show there's always one in every episode so they could be a way of the beast keeping an eye on Greg and Wirt throughout the entire show, just to see where they are, keep an eye on them, and hunt them down later. But I found it really strange that when when the dog ate one, it he turned into an actual beast, actually secreting oil from his fur, which is mm-hmm. really interesting. 
But it's interesting because in the episode with Auntie Whispers, she voluntarily eats the turtles and enjoys them, but she yes. is not at all any kind of creature revealed uh, later. But we'll we'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that in a second because I have a theory about Auntie Whispers and Adelaide, who we do meet later in the in, in the show. It's this shows there's a lot of stuff that happens in the show. A lot of stuff connects back to the beginning and like goes to the end and it's just there's a lot of back and forth the beginning of the show is technically after the last part of the episodes of the show mm -hmm. so like episode nine we see how they get into the unknown but yes. the show starts off with them in the unknown which i found out actually was not an original plot device they were going to explain how they got to the unknown in the first episode oh and then they were going to just get into the unknown and then how they got out but it was changed later to be at the end to add to more mystery of the show, which I'm actually very happy that they did. I'm so grateful because yeah. it would not be the same. It would not be the same, honestly. You would take out that punch at the end where you're just like, oh, whoa, they're from 1993 or 1992 or so. Yeah. So anyways, one of the one of the cool animation things I noticed and something that's not typically done, there's mm -hmm. a couple things that they do. And that is one is their use of pure black especially yeah, in the yeah. background it's not often that you see pure blacks used and they use them in such a beautiful beautiful way it takes a lot to be able to use blacks in such a way that doesn't detract from the saturation and the color yeah the fact that they were able to do that was brilliant and then the other thing i noticed was in the unknown Mm -hmm. Not in the actual human world, only yes. in the unknown, do we actually get a Gaussian blur mm -hmm. uh, vignette around yes. the entire screen in every episode. And that was something I didn't actually catch the first time I watched it. But yeah. that I thought was very, very cool because not only does it add a dreamlike effect that, I mean, the whole, their, all their adventures are very dreamlike and very bizarre, mm -hmm. but it also adds to that old timey kind of feel to it. So yes. it kind of literally blurs the line between what era it's supposed to be happening in because the unknown has multiple eras as we see. Yeah. So I thought that was very, very cool for people who don't know the specifically the Pottsfield episode, the yes. pumpkin jack-o'-lantern headed characters and even Anok, the giant pumpkin with the ribbons who turns out to be a black cat. These kind of character designs that mm -hmm. we see in this episode are actually based on vintage Halloween cards. Yes. And that's not something that I think a lot of people know because I actually have a friend who her whole her whole work is inspired by these vintage Halloween cards from like the, the 20s or the 40s, I forget. But I mean, over a long period of time, there's these really creepy but cute characters like this. That literally, if you look at over the garden wall, like scenes of them dancing in a circle holding hands is straight off of an old vintage Halloween card. 100%. But it's funny because my friend who who's inspired by these vintage Halloween cards, who's been doing this style of work for forever since I've yeah. known them in college before uh, over the garden wall even came out. I, they've had people look at their work currently and say, oh, you must like Over the Garden Wall. And it can be frustrating because it's like, no, it's the vintage Halloween that that's. Yeah. But it is cool to see that, you know, something that's so unknown and never used mm -hmm. and so iconic coming back into fashion, especially because of the show using these old iconic Halloween characters and, yeah. and styles and designs that we don't ever see anymore. Since we're on the topic of character design, um, can we just talk about how great 
Greg and Ward's designs are. I mean, Greg is just made up so of good. circles. He's just lumps on top of each other. And then we have Wirt, who's just straight up a triangle, just sharp and straight to the point. He's, he doesn't really mess around. While Greg is very fun, very loose, it just it speaks to their character. They're just their shapes. You already know who they are just based what like what they're designed as. It's it's incredible. Even their noses, like triangle and literally a circle. That's it. That's all they are. Fundamental character design, one on one, but done so. It's it's simple, but done so well, and you immediately understand these characters at first glance, which is how a character design should read, no matter how complex or simple it is Mm -hmm. if you can read that character just from looking at them even without a expression that is really strong character design work and they do that really really well with all the characters in the show definitely from creepy to questionable yeah you know even characters that are actually very creepy in Mm -hmm. you know their appearance end up being very soft you know there there's a lot of that in the show which is really smart talking about the uh school town follies episode and you had mentioned earlier when we were talking about the vintage cards how much the show has this vintage inspiration Mm -hmm. and school town follies literally has the same feel of i've actually seen other people point this out online and it's funny because it's what i thought when i first watched it and then going through and studying i'm like wow i wasn't the only one who made this connection but it's very strongly reminiscent the uh potatoes and molasses song is very reminiscent of shirley temple's Animal Crackers in My Soup song. It's oh my god! Similar, yes, it's actually a very similar story in which Shirley Temple is in this. I think it is like a kid's school, yeah. and she starts singing, trying to make her soup taste better because the soup is bland, and the yeah. teacher is playing the piano in the back. And in at the end of her song, this greedy old man comes in and says, "Is this what I'm spending all my money for at this school?" It's same sort of beat for beat. And so it's cool because the whole show, while it's inspired by and takes from these old vintage things from from this very particular era and then incorporates them in like new fun ways that a lot of people our age and younger and even people a little older than us won't yeah. really catch right away because it's no. such an old thing. And so it takes these great old ideas and then mm-hmm. kind of adds new life to them so definitely I think it's very cool since we're on the topic of music can we talk about how amazing the music is in the show it's funny because my first note that i wrote when watching the show was wow this music just <laughs> chills like it's so beautiful it's, it's amazing so iconic. it's done by the blasting company and they they did an amazing amazing job uh, all over the place from like they have orchestra they have band they have these like really jaunty little tunes it's it's incredible every every song is is a hit i get potatoes and molasses stuck in my head all the time no yes. joke. it's funny <laughs> let's move on to the next three episodes yes. before we get too carried away so wirt and greg get caught up at a tavern mm-hmm. and they're trying to get directions to Adelaide's house because Beatrice actually doesn't really know the way. So at the tavern, it's funny because there are characters who have very trope, stereotypical, archetype characters. And during their time in the tavern, we find out a little bit, a little bit more about uh, Wirt and Greg and who they are, mm-hmm. uh, while Beatrice kind of gets caught up with the woodsman. 
and the beast outside. Yes. Which leads Wirt and Greg to save her and run off on a stolen horse. Who talks? We find Fred. out in the next episode. Fred, who talks? And they come across a mansion. And Cold opens with them eating dinner in the mansion, pretending to be the nephews of Quincy Endicott. Because they're trying to get money to ride a ferry to get to Adelaide. Two cents. Two cents. They need to steal two cents from him, but they can't seem to get it out of him because he's so distracted talking about a beautiful ghost in his mansion, which we end up finding out she's not actually a ghost. She is a living, well, in the unknown, living woman who shares a mansion with him and they connect at the middle and they fall in love because they were both very attracted to a ghost, which I mean... I mean, why wouldn't you, right? Yeah. Who wouldn't yeah. You, why wouldn't you be attracted to the handsome ghost next door? Like, also, they're business competitors as well. So, I yes, mean, I don't think true. that's a bad idea of them yeah. mixing their, their tea companies together. So, they help hook them up. And as a thank you, uh, they are gifted two pennies, which... Mm-hmm. Greg throws away. <laughs> Greg immediately throws away into a nearby fountain, which they yes. are very upset at him for doing so. He's got no sense no sense he's at got all. no sense at all. <laughs> which leads them to another cold open to the next episode where they are on the ferry and they snuck on they are stowaways on a ferry full of frogs who are clothed and there is a band that is performing and wart greg and beatrice and their frog whose name changes all the time they try to blend in by dressing up but kind of get caught during one of their uh, performances on stage with the band. But then the frog starts to sing and it turns out that they, this frog has a beautiful, beautiful voice and the frogs decide to let them stay on for the rest of the ride. Beatrice actually runs off to Adelaide's house while the boys sleep. They follow her and Beatrice tells Adelaide the deal is over. I don't want part of the deal. It's revealed that she made a deal with Adelaide to get the special crane scissors will free her and her family of their curse to live as a bluebird. And in return, she had to bring them the souls of children. When Wart and Greg show up, they are caught by Adelaide, but immediately escape using the scissors and run away from Beatrice. There's our three episodes. So we'll start with the, the songs of the Dark Lantern. Yeah, that episode starts off with them in like a haystack uh, in the back of some some like driver's like cart and he's just like the beast is upon me and then that's how they end up at the tavern he just kind of right. they, they fly off and they end up at the tavern and you're right they all all these people at this tavern have a trope which is interesting there's like the dessier the tavern keeper there's the guy who does the clothes there's the butcher there's the master and the apprentice who's like the apprentice is literally tied to him with a rope which is amazing. <laughs> the highwayman. Everybody loves the highwayman because the animation is really wild. It looks like a fisheye lens is used on him and he, his dancing is very bizarre, which someone yes. online actually made a note that it's referenced to Cap Calloway and the way that Cap Calloway used to dance. And that was the inspiration for the highwayman and his uh, quote unquote bizarre movements. Yes. Well, actually, I have a funny anecdote about that. So the art director on the show is Nick Cross. Uh, Nick Cross is an amazing animator, as well as an amazing art director and painter and character designer. He just does everything. Um, and I've been aware of his animation since like 2010 or so. And he like he used to do all these like really weird, 
cartoony animations. He came out with one called like Yellow Black Cake or something like that. I don't really remember what what the animation was called, but I was I was infatuated with this guy. And when watching this particular episode and that scene in particular, that Highwayman song, I was all like, "This was animated by Nick." And I I I I swear to God, I don't know where what I don't know if it was on my old Twitter or or like on my Tumblr or something. But I posted like this was animated by Nick Cross, and he actually responded to the to whatever that was and was like, "God damn it, I was trying to make this seamless. <laughs> How did you know?" And I was all like, "Amazing! It's your work. Like you animate exactly like that." And the fact that it's it's also a reference to Cap Galloway is amazing. We have Mad Love. It feels like a filler episode. We don't really get any forward movement. We technically don't because they're trying to get the two cents. They end up losing the two cents. So nothing really comes of it other than we just get to see a little bit more about the unknown and its residents and kind of the physics of the unknown, if you will. But I will say I will say this. Uh. The one thing that we do definitely get from this episode is we find out that they need money for the ferry Mm -hmm. and that it's two cents. And I want to actually call attention to this because... This is a reference to the River of Sticks, Greek mythology, in which in order for a soul who has recently passed to cross over into Mm -hmm. Hades or wherever they end up having to go, they must pay the ferryman two cents. And back in the day, it was this was a strong belief. And so they would put one cent each on each eye when someone was laid to rest so that way they had money to pay for the ferryman and unfortunately people who were poor could not pay the ferryman and would be stuck on the coast waiting to cross so i actually thought that was very interesting now something that blew my mind this watch through which actually i again doing my research uh, i saw other people mention this and i was just like how did i never catch this (laughs) so at the beginning of the show the show opens with the frog playing the piano, singing a song, and showing little clips and tidbits, which at the time don't make sense, but after no. you watch the show, it makes complete sense. We see everything that the kids go through in yep. the unknown. We essentially see what it is. And sometimes we see things as exactly as they were. And what I mean by that is we see a shot of two young boys in very old, tiny little sailor children's outfits playing in a small creek with a toy fairy. And the toy fairy is one of those old tin toys. Now, the fairy that the boys actually, that the main characters actually ride is that boat. So much so that if you look at the background art, the background art is made to look like a metal tin toy boat. You can see the lines of the boat you can see that there are metal tabs going into the floor of the boat and the archway of the doorways actually have metal pieces where where it bends like an old little tin toy would have and i never caught that until this time i watched it where i was like oh my gosh they're actually on the toy boat that these kids playing with at the beginning yeah if you pay really close attention to those those title cards at the beginning it gives you the the whole well essentially like the whole story is kind of given away but not really like you see, totally is. Yeah, you see Beatrice and her dog, and then the, mm-hmm. the bluebird that's just bird flying away. You see the cat, his cart with the two turkeys. You see the circus, which is the the same circus that Jimmy got a job at, where he gets a gorilla suit and gets stuck in. Mm-hmm. 
you see these little wooden figurines of every character that's in the tavern. Yep. And then you see a clip of Quincy Endicott, and then you see a, the specter fly by in the background. Yep. And then you see the two kids with the tin boat. Oh, it's the woodsman and his daughter. She looks longingly yes. into the woods, and he's just chopping wood in the background. And I think that's that. Those are the only that's, ones. Yeah, I think so. But it's it's funny because um, also the woodsman literally tells the boys everything they need to know about the unknown in episode one. And yeah. when you first watch this show, you think it's just rambling nonsense, and it, it does. It it really does make absolutely no sense when yeah. you watch it for the first time. But then if you go back and watch it a second time, you're like, he literally tells them everything they need to know. He tells them. Keep going north. Yep. Find a city. Yep. Beware the beast. Don't mm-hmm. lose hope. It's all Don't there. Don't lose hope. Yep. Which is, the, which is the key element to fighting off the beast. Everything. 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 He tells them exactly and this opening clip shows us everything, but you don't you don't realize what you're seeing or you hearing until you. It. Yes, it's, exactly. It's very interesting. And they repeat it again, actually, in the uh, what is it? The the tavern song, one of the tavern songs. Yes. Betty Boopish character kind of goes off and go sings her song about the beast and the unknown and watching out. And that was the next thing I was actually going to bring up was that the tavern keep is a callback to Betty Boop. She yes. has the style of Betty Boop. She also has a very, very, very similar voice. And whoever that voice actress is, like, did an amazing <laughs> job of recreating that that very cute Betty Boop uh, voice, which is so unique. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Thank you for so doing it. I was going to do it, and I was like, I'm not going to embarrass myself, but <laughs> you're more than welcome to. <laughs> something, that, um, something that I should mention since we're on the Mad Love episode, this is the episode where we actually find out two very important things about Beatrice and Wirt. And that yes. is, they shared their quote-unquote dark secrets. Uh, yes. Wirt's dark secret really isn't as dark as he, think it, he no, thinks he it is. He has a crush on Sarah and writes poetry and plays clarinet. Those are his three deep That's secrets. his dark, yes. Those are his dark secrets, which is like, okay. Compared to Beatrice, whose dark secret is that she threw a rock at a bluebird and was cursed, mm-hmm. not only herself, but her entire family to live as a bluebird, which, as we mentioned in the next episode, we find out that she's trying to make a deal with Adelaide, who yes. in that episode, we find out that Adelaide actually is working for the beast, and which is why she wants the children's souls. But she also makes mention which will lead us into our next grouping of episodes, she mentions that she has a sister and wants a child's, a quote-unquote child... Child servant. She wants to fill their heads with wool and turn them into a child servant, yeah. So that leads us into the next episode where Adelaide's sister actually makes an appearance. Yes. Auntie Whispers. Auntie Whispers, the creepiest, creepiest character in the whole thing. I love her. I I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about Auntie Whispers and this particular episode. She's voiced by Tim Curry. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you <laughs> said it. You beat me to it. It's Tim Curry. And it, I was absolutely blown away when I found out that this was Tim Curry. So in this episode, The Ringing of a Bell, Greg Wirt and Greg's frog encounter the woodsman uh, who warns them again about the beast. They run from the woodsman and they come across a broken down home, which they think is abandoned. To their surprise, they meet Lorna. Lorna warns them to hide uh, because her caregiver, Auntie Whispers, is coming. 
When Auntie Whispers enters, she uses a bell that controls Lorna with the ringing. So Auntie Whispers gets her to clean and Auntie Whispers goes to bed in which the boys come out and they tell Laura that uh, Lorna that they're going to help her. And it's kind of sweet because it's kind of, it's implied that Wart and Lorna kind of have a cute little flirty thing together. Auntie Whispers wakes up due to Greg's shenanigans. Auntie Whispers warns the boys that that Lorna is wicked. And this whole time you're, you're led to think that Auntie Whispers is actually very, very evil because it's very, very creepy how Auntie Whispers is shown, everything about her, um, the fact that she tells her to tend the bones. She enters the cottage and her first thing is like, has anybody entered? Isn't so nobody's gonna get eaten alive, and it's like she's very threatening. Made you to believe that she eats people. Yes, especially because she's she's designed very owl like. Mm -hmm. She's very very big. She has a very 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 big big. mouth, Mm -hmm. and so you kind of start to jump to this conclusion that she, like an owl, eats her prey, regurgitates the bones, and oh my gosh. She's terrifying. Also, her bed is like a nest. So you start making all these assumptions about this character based on what they're showing you. Again, great character design, a great false lead, because we soon discover that she's actually talking about Lorna, who becomes a demon ghost sort of character, chases the boys, and then Greg reveals that his frog actually has the bell. And they command Lorna with the bell to release that the the demon be released from her and go away good and it works and Mm -hmm. lorna goes back to auntie whispers and the boys continue on their way we will we will come back to this because i have a lot of thoughts and opinions well can we just talk about this episode really quick before we move on to the other three all right i guess we do yeah because this one's this there's a lot going on in this episode there's a lot and there's a lot of things that kind of like almost frustrate me with this episode because really yes because lorna starts off as she seems terrified of anti whispers she seems like she is held captive by anti whispers that she's not allowed to do anything with anti whispers Mm -hmm. but then by the end of the episode she cares for anti whispers and promises not to leave and there are theories because here's the thing why didn't anti whispers use the bell to free lorna if that was a possibility and there are theories online that people say, well, Auntie Whispers was just afraid that Lorna would leave her and she'd be alone because it's the only family she has because her other, her sister is evil and exactly. she doesn't associate with her sister anymore. So I'm like, okay, well, that that may be, but... Well, we actually learned that Lorna isn't actually related to her in any way. Word says something about, like, it's weird that your aunt doesn't let you see anybody and she's like, oh, she's not my real aunt. So they're not even related in any way. It's strange because it's like, then why? Why would she stay and t- and then tell Auntie Whispers that she that she cares for her and loves her? Yeah. So one of the notes that I had actually made for this episode is she says that if Lorna does not tend to the bones and does not maintain cleaning, which she uses the bell to control her to constantly clean and upkeep the place, that she will become wicked. And something that stood out to me was that the style of their clothes is very 1860s, 1862, which kind of made me think about the sort of quote that idle hands make for the devil's work, which was a big, you know, back in the 1860s, like you had to do all the work yourself. So 
you know, you tell kids idle hands make for the devil's work because if you're not working hard, then like you'll literally die. Yeah. So I thought that was that was interesting. But yeah, no, the, there's just something about the, the the way that the the characters are set up in a it's it's cool that they lead you to believe one thing, but mm-hmm. I think I've always been a little frustrated that it starts off with Lorna seeing like she's seeming like she's being held captive by this yeah. woman who she calls Auntie that she doesn't actually know. And then by the end, she chooses to stay with her and take care of her. And there's no reason for it. It is very strange. But I, I mean, I have a theory. And this goes back to like the last episode with Adelaide. Um, they're sisters. I, my theory is Auntie Whispers and Adelaide used to both uh, be, I guess, children of the beast. Uh, is my theory is that they were both children of the beast and somewhere along the way auntie whispers possibly maybe came across this girl who made a bad deal with the with the beast and somehow got possessed by a demon similar to the beast and with with the ring of the bell it's the only way to kind of keep the beast at bay and the reason that she eats the black turtles is because she's not no longer doing like I guess giving him souls to kind of fuel her magic or whatever that the black turtles are some way connected with his magic to kind of keep her fueling like keep her fueled and going you know what I mean is really interesting I've not actually heard any uh anything like that when yeah. researching any kind of no. theory on anti whispers because every everybody's just like. I don't know, Auntie Whispers is... They just think it's Auntie Whispers, but I think that's a big clue of, like, the fact that she's a sister to Adelaide, and Adelaide has this big connection to the Beast. Also, I also want to mention that uh, on the back of Adelaide's little cloak that she wears, she has a hourglass shape. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's kind of to mirror a Black Widow, and all of the yarn that's strung about her, her cottage makes it look like webs, and when she catches Greg and Wirt, she catches them wow. in little cocoons, just like oh, a black widow. Never even noticed. Yeah. That's really, really cool. It's cool because I was saying that Auntie Whispers reminded me of an owl and, and yes. that you make this assumption that she's regurgitating these bones like an owl would and she sleeps literally in what seems like a nest yep. in an attic. Yep. And then her sister here has... She's a literal spider. <laughs> That's very, very cool. That's very cool. And then luring into her web fool's thread and all that and so she's constantly so, yeah she's constantly yeah. yeah that's very cool i never caught that so in the next episode babes in the wood they still don't have beatrice around the brothers are sailing down a lake and they can hear the beast singing in the distance and greg is remaining hopeful while Wirt is sort of giving up now at the point where beatrice sort of betrays them from that point on the episodes get darker and more desaturated in their colors 100 percent. i mean this this whole episode babes in the wood the beginning well the beginning of the episode it's all in fog everything's Mm -hmm. fogged everything's gray you Mm -hmm. feel for the characters you get you kind of feel that 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 sorrow that that worst feeling from being betrayed by beatrice yeah and they reach their destination after getting off of the boat in this little foggy scene and they're tired and Wirt has literally pretty much given up at this point so they take a nap under a tree to which greg has a dream of a angelic cloud city and he's welcomed by the residents and you know there's all this wild stuff going on there's a north wind that comes in to destroy the city and he saves the city 
And the queen of the clouds says that as a reward, she's going to make his wish come true, which is to go home. But when he points out that his brother, that he wants to go home with his brother, the queen tells him, well, you know, he's lost hope. He's he's being taken over by the beast. And we see that war is literally being claimed by the beast's vines, yeah. which, by the way, in, in the episodes leading up to this, we see conversations between the woodsman and the beast where the beast is really pressuring the woodsman to collect the wood and the woodman has a lantern. I don't know how we haven't talked about this, but the woodsman has a lantern and yes. he is telling him that the soul of his daughter is in this lantern. And in order to keep her soul and that flame alive, he must go find these trees. Adelwood trees that have these mangled faces. Chop them down, use the oil from the trees to keep the lantern forever lit. And that's his job. And it's also indicated that the that the woodsman actually took the lantern from the beast, which I find confusing and interesting, which we will get to in uh, a moment here. So anyways, the queen of Cloud City tells Greg that his brother cannot come with him. So he decides that his wish is to swap places with Wirt. So Greg can go home and leave and Wirt will take his spot. So Wirt awakens and he's no longer covered in vines and he tries to chase his brother, but he falls down and nearly drowns before being saved, which we'll see in the next episode. Now, it's very interesting because he's about to drown and we cut to all of a sudden in the next episode, we're actually in a much clearer world. There's no more vignette, no more blur around the edges. And Wirt is seen in very normal clothes for what could be assumed sometime in the 80s or 90s. We're not really sure what the timeline is, but he uh, is seen putting a cassette tape together for his crush, Sarah, and he makes a costume out of some old Santa costume and some band cloak that he has. And he goes to give the tape to Sarah and chickens out, but Greg decides he's going to give the tape to Sarah. And before he can get the tape back, it gets slipped into her jacket pocket and she walks off with it. Wirt finds out that his rival Jason Funderburger is going to ask out Wart's crush Sarah so panicked he decides he needs to get the tape because he's afraid that they're actually going to listen to it together and make fun of him so he tags along with his crush and his rival to a cemetery with Greg a police car jokes up and jokingly tells them to get out of the graveyard but it's a Halloween prank but they don't realize that it's a Halloween prank all the kids scatter and freak out while Wirt and Greg start to scale the wall. Now, the graveyard itself, we notice at the beginning, is actually called the Eternal Garden. Yep. And they jump the garden wall. By the way, the whole time, Greg is begging Wirt to actually go catch frogs with him. This is where we meet his frog for the first time, essentially, first time in quotes. Yes, this is where Greg gets the frog that he's been carrying around with him the whole time. At this point, they get into a bit of a tiff. They're blaming each other. Well, Wart specifically is blaming Greg for his stepfather ruining yeah. his life. This is something that we actually learned in the Tavern episode that I forgot to go over. But we, we find out that they're actually stepbrothers. And so Wart's upset with Greg because he feels like his love life has been ruined. Everything is a mess. And suddenly there's a train. They're standing on train tracks. They get thrown off the tracks. It's very quick cuts. And they're thrown into a lake and fall in and 
become unconscious. And he actually wakes up being rescued from the pond that he fell into at the end of the previous episode. But he is with Beatrice's family in a tree and they're all bluebirds. And before we move on to the next episode, let's talk about this. We can take it one at a time since we're already... That's kind of what we've been doing. We, we've done Babes in the Woods and Into the Unknown. So let's talk about those before we actually finish the show. Yes. So you had called this out prior to recording that <laughs> Babes in the Wood, all of the images, the, the whole Cloud City is literally taken straight up from Alice's Wonderland. Yep. Yep. Walt Disney's Alice's Wonderland from like 1923, I want to say. We should clarify that this is not Alice in Wonderland, the animated movie. This is Mm -hmm. Alice's Wonderland. And this was actually something that Disney did prior to a lot of the um, later animation. This is something that actually was really, really popular. And it it was about this little girl, Alice, who would go on to these little magical adventures in quote unquote Wonderland. Yes. Exactly. And it was it was a live action animation mix. So it had a live action little girl. Yeah. The backgrounds were all animated. The characters are all all little animal characters are all animated. But yeah, no, this the the entire Cloud City is all inspired by that. Into the Unknown, which is the flashback episode, which answers so much. This one's really fun because it it, it explains why they have the frog, why they're dressed the way they are dressed, why uh, Greg has a teapot on his head because his Halloween outfit is an elephant. Why he has a rock with a painted face on it in his pocket uh, with rock facts, as Greg says throughout the show. <laughs> it puts everything into perspective. It goes yes. over uh, Wirt's, um dark secrets, as he puts it. And it also explains how they got into the unknown. Yeah. At this point, I 100% thought one of these brothers is not coming out of the unknown alive. Yeah. No, it's it's a serious show. It gets very yes. serious. And it has a lot of dark undertones. More than most car- modern cartoons get, you know. Yeah. You don't see a lot of shows take such, like, chances like this, you know. You can kind of see it in, like, Gravity Falls, but Over yeah. the Garden Wall takes, like, oh, God. Like, once once we get to the 10th episode, we'll talk about the Beast's design and see. Oh, talk we'll talk about, about how, yes. Oh, God. But, yeah, no, this show's so scary. As a little kid, I'd be scared. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I think the, the thing that made it so mind blowing for a lot of people was because it what a way to deal with death and crossing over for a kid's show without actually explicitly saying those things. So let's go ahead and move on. The last the last episode. And in the last episode, Wart wakes up. He leaves Beatrice's family behind to go look for his brother, Greg. We have Beatrice, who actually crashes into Wart for the first time in a few episodes. They are reunited, and Wart actually comes across Greg's frog in this blizzard of a storm. And they go to where Beatrice says that she last saw Greg with the beast in the woods. And this is where we get this very, very interesting scene, which we'll talk about in a bit, where the... Beast is actually having Greg do these really wild, really wild tasks. They're impossible tasks. And every time Greg is able to accomplish an impossible task and never loses hope. And as we are told by the woodsman from the beginning, that when one loses hope, they fall to the woodsman. And that is actually something that the Queen of the Clouds even says, too. When hope is lost. That's it. They're the woodsman claimed. has you. Yeah, by the beast. By the by, the beast. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're claimed by the beast. Oh my gosh. 
Wart comes across Greg, and he finds that Greg is covered in these vines. And it can be inferred that he's slowly being turned into this tree, and the life is literally being drained from him into these branches from the beast. It's at this moment that Wart sees the woodsman knock down. The beast appears, and he offers Wart kind of an ultimatum. Wart gets the lantern, and he's about to take the deal. And then he actually hears a ringing of a bell, and that snaps him out of the deal. And he says, it's a dumb deal. And he says, you have this weird obsession with the lantern. And the beast turns into this weird monster. Everything goes black around Wurt, and he's the only thing on screen. The beast asks him, are you ready to see true darkness? And Wurt replies, are you? But he cracks his voice the first time and says it again. He's about to blow out the candle, and the beast goes back to normal. Everything goes back to normal. The beast reaches out and says, no, don't do that. And he closes the lid and he gives it to the woodsman. He says, I already have enough problems. This is yours. And the woodsman realizes that his daughter is not in the, in the, lantern. In the lantern. And she never was. She never was. And then Wirt picks up Greg from the tree mess that he's in, walks off, and the woodsman finally takes back his life from the beast and blows out the candle. And then Wirt says goodbye to Beatrice for the last time on a dark screen. Should mention that he he gives her the scissors. Oh, before, he does give her the scissors before of leaving. Of course, and he calls him a beautiful idiot. <laughs> and he wakes up in the lake that they were at in the ninth episode. He grabs the frog and Greg, and he walks out tired and shivering they collapse and the the people who were at the graveyard with them yes. see them as we fade out and then fade back into an ambulance and fade out and then fade back into they're waking up at the hospital and everything is fine and it is questionable if these things really happen because greg is talking about their adventures in the unknown yeah. and he takes his frog and starts shaking him yeah. and he glows and rattles the bell from yeah. the ringing of the bell episode where the frog ate the bell. Yeah. So now it's like, oh. It's like, well, it did really that did actually happen? happen? Yeah. We also see that Beatrice has her family back. They're yeah. all back to normal. They're no longer bluebirds. We yeah. see that the woodsman has returned home, that his daughter never left, that she probably just got lost in the woods. And then he assumed that the beast had taken her and that they made this deal. And yeah. there was never any harm to begin with. So... A little bit of fun factoids about Over the Garden Wall. Over the Garden Wall wasn't originally called Over the Garden Wall, and it was actually a part of a shorts program that Cartoon Network had back in the day. Um, and the short was called The Tome of the Unknown. And in the short, it shows Wirt and Greg and Beatrice, and they are in this strange vegetable land. Yes. And they have this random adventure. And so Cartoon Network thought it was really great. They actually, I think, approached initially, if I'm not mistaken, they approached initially for a movie. And then it got changed from, well, it wasn't going to work as a movie. It's There's a lot going on. They need a little more time to. Why not do a show? So then they were actually given, I think, 18 to 20 episodes. And then they actually cut those back back to be a mini series yes. of what we now have which is 10 episodes they actually had written those episodes they i, I don't know how far out oh, they wow. were written i think yeah. it may have just been like you know when when you're writing a show you start off with these 
essentially the synopsis mm-hmm. of like you got your paragraph if that couple yeah. of sentences of this is what happens in the episode this is what we're thinking. yeah you get an outline of the entire episode yeah an outline exactly and so it from what it sounds like they actually had them outlined and they had these ideas and some of them got cut because just the show got cut back yeah. to a shorter episode count and some got cut because cartoon network thought they were too scary Ooh. and <laughs> One of them was actually the creator has mentioned multiple times in different Q and A's and things that he had created this character who their whole deal was that they made dice out of the bones of children. Oh, and that's so cool. Yeah. And Cartoon Network was like, that's a little too, that's a little too much. And so what ended up happening is they cut these episodes as specifically this character never came back, but some of the episodes that got cut, were actually inspiration and used in the comics hey. that the creator later went on to write. So there's a whole comic line of Over the Garden Wall. Yes. And there's a good amount that's actually written by the creator himself where it goes into more adventures of Greg and Wart and Beatrice and the Frog in the unknown before they actually managed to, to get out. And those were supposedly the episodes that they that they had in wow. mind that didn't ever get made. So they're just like fun filler episodes, fun adventures. Now, there's actually something that I wanted to bring mm. up. So we had mentioned earlier that the Beast sings a song a couple times throughout the show. And the Beast, people have pointed out that this song can be sung and is sung to a slower version of Oh Holy Night. The song is called Come Wayward mm-hmm. Souls, and I figured I would read it, but it's Come Wayward Souls and wander through the darkness. There is a light for the lost and the meek. Sorrow and fear are easily forgotten. When you submit to the soil of the earth. Now, this part, I believe, is an addition that was only in the extended version. On the DVD set that um, my friend actually loaned me to watch, there's a musical version that was not actually released. Um, There's the one that everybody knows. And then there's an an edit that has, I don't know what's different about it, but I'm assuming this is maybe a part of it. But the rest of the song is, Grow tiny seed, you are called to the trees. Rise till your leaves fill the sky, until your sighs fill the air in the night. Lift your mighty limbs and give praise to the fire, which is absolutely terrifying. And it's so good because it's further, it it furthers the whole idea of what the beast is after in such a creepy poetic way. Now, when Greg is actually being turned into a tree. It turns out that there is a song in Latin being played, very sad, very somber, very slow. And you would think that it's Come Wayward Souls. You would think it's that song in Latin. The song is actually Potatoes and Molasses. No way. Are you serious? That's what people online have said, that they've realized that the song is Latin Potatoes and Molasses. Which is sad because Greg is essentially slowly dying. And the one thing that he does is he sings the song Potatoes and Molasses to give hope to these characters in the school, to give hope to the school teacher. And then that song is used twisted kind of against him where he's losing hope and he's giving in to the beast. Oh my God. I never noticed that. Yeah, which is... That's hilarious. Yeah. That's amazing. It's it's hilariously sad. Yeah. It's like, that's messed up. That's just rude. <laughs> well, so this show, from an animation perspective, I think it's wonderfully animated. I think uh, the story is very good for what it is. I think Pat McHale did an amazing job. Make I, I love the fact that it's just a self-contained thing. 
one of the things I really love about Over the Garden Wall is the color design and the light design is absolutely brilliant. I think it's amazing. I think it's beautiful. I mean, it's a limited palette when it needs to be a limited palette and it works incredibly well. It has such beautiful fall colors. And what's really cool is a lot of the visual storytelling in it carries so well in the backgrounds. And something that happens throughout the series, if you notice, is um, throughout the episodes is that you start you start in early autumn and you end in winter in the snowstorm. And it's literally this the change of the season. So I don't know if you noticed this, but throughout the entire show, there is always a half moon in the sky. I never caught that. I never noticed that. I never noticed that in the first time I watched it and the second time. No. I don't know what it means, but I- I'm going to give that to you to kind of give me the interpretation of what a half moon signifies or could signify definitely so i think that's really interesting because as a witch a lot of my practice not every witch's practice a lot of witches we go by the cycles of the moon and every cycle is very important and this isn't anything new this is very old this is very ancient it's across many many cultures and there's many different meanings a new moon typically is when you kind of plant seeds new beginnings things about to start because the moon is completely black and it's before it starts to fill again and starts to uh, wax. And then when it becomes full, that's when you are about to go back into darkness and wanes. You let things go. You release things. You, you get it out. But when the moon is half, you can think of it as being in between. You're not fully whole. You're not in the light. You're not fully in the dark. And I can see Christian's reaction now. It's all coming together. Why this is used for the show. As you can see, they're in limbo throughout the show. So they're caught between life and death. They're in the unknown. They're in the in-between. And this is really beautiful because if you think about it even deeper than that, it happens on Halloween night. Now, what's so important about Halloween night is that it has always been believed that on Halloween, on Samhain, the veil between the living world and the world of the dead is extremely thin. And you can contact the ones that you love. You can kind of pull back the veil because they're really it's really not even there. As a matter of fact, we are recording this in October And it is believed that throughout the month of October, the veil gets thinner and thinner and thinner until this moment. So the fact that the moon is constantly half, the fact that they're in limbo, the fact that it is Halloween when all this is happening, it's all that symbolism, that visual story of literally the in-between, literally between life and death, on the boundary, between the boundary, like right there. So when you said... That the half moon was there, it it blew my mind because I was like, wow, that just goes so much deeper. It was at the beginning of the show. I was like, oh, it's a half moon. And then it wasn't until the 10th episode that I was like, that's another half moon. Wait, hold on. Let me go back. And I went back to every episode. Wow. All half moons. And I'm like. Dedication. My God. I got to bring this up. Yeah, that was so that was such an interesting catch because I don't know if anybody else has talked about that. I've not seen anybody else point that out. I yeah. I I was looking up all these theories and stuff about it. And now that you've said that, and then like of course, like for me, it just clicked. It was like, oh my gosh, it makes so much sense. All of it all of it's coming together. I've connected the dots. <laughs> <laughs> so that's over the garden wall for you. 
It's a splendid show. It's really lovely to watch, especially this time of year, as Christian said. Uh, but now that we've talked in depth and theorized and broken it down, let's head on over to see what spooky letters have been written in by our wonderful listeners. This chilling tale comes to us from October, and they say, Hi, my name is October. Fitting, I know. My ghost story is actually not very spooky, as I was visited by my friend. I'll call her V. When I was 19 years old, V passed away unexpectedly while in her dorm at college. I was pretty torn up and cried constantly, losing sleep over how much I missed her. One night... After her memorial, I was tossing around in bed, crying again, and I was so tired of crying and losing sleep that I got on my knees and prayed for a sign that V was all right. In that moment, with my eyes closed, I felt a hand on my shoulder. It wasn't gripping me. It was gentle and comforting touch. I felt like someone put a blanket over me. Despite how gentle the touch was, I was actually scared to open my eyes to see what was going on. So I kept my eyes shut until the hand had went away and then immediately got in my bed. I never saw anything, but the next morning, I had a feeling it was V telling me that she was okay. That's a really, really beautiful story, October. That's so sweet. It's very, very sweet. And I really appreciate you sharing something so sentimental with us. And honestly, it's very fitting for our discussion about Over the Garden Wall, considering it's about life and death and dealing with that. And, you know, having a kid's show that goes over life and death in a way that's not too heavy or extreme, that's going to be too too hard for children to understand. But Honestly, October, this was a really, really touching story. And when I first read it before recording, I was absolutely stunned. And I was so happy that you shared it because it's very, very meaningful. To even have a friend like that to come back and visit you after they have passed. It's, it's, wow, That's, that must mean so much. To have that confirmation. and yeah. To ask for any kind of sign and then get that kind of that recognition. That's such a that's such an amazing connection that it, it even traverses the spirit world and the real world. That's that's Absolutely. so strong and powerful. Wow. And this is this is one of the things I really wanted to put forward with a jaunty haunt is you know so often in Hollywood and in all types of entertainment media when ghosts are depicted, it's often scary and demonic and terrifying and horrible, but you have these moments where it can be beautiful and yeah. mysterious and deeply meaningful and, you know, life-changing. And that's why I'm so happy October shared this story with us. So, you know, we can kind of talk about that and point out the fact that, you know, not all even though I call them spooks, not all spooks are spooky and <laughs> no. it can be very beautiful and very touching. Yeah. So it's, it's sometimes ghosts aren't all scary, you know, 
sometimes it's just a relative or friend a friend who wants to reach out and just make that connection and reassure you that everything's okay that they're all right mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's really it's again like we talk we we have a lot of fun talking about spooky things and spooky yes. ghosts and laughing about it and being like wow can you believe that can you believe that but then when you have moments like this it's just it's so sweet i mean it's so, so sweet it's touching so that's it for our episode on over the garden wall with Christian. Christian, thank you so much for joining us yet again as a guest. It was a pleasure, like always, having you on. Thank you for having me on again. I'm glad you didn't get tired of me. <laughs> oh, um, never. You'll probably be <laughs> back again very soon. I don't know. I hope it. so. That would be awesome. But yeah, uh, no, it's been it's been a pleasure as always. It's been great talking to you and and everybody about my ghost stories and over the garden wall as well. I hope that you guys have a chance to watch it this, this October and have a chance to check it out. Maybe take some of what we said today and maybe have your own dissection of the show and figure out your own theories and why things are the way they are. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if anyone has any cool theories that we did not go over, uh, please tweet uh, Jaunty Haunt and let us know what, theories you have about the show but in the meantime uh christian thank you so much again if you want to let our lovely listeners know where they can follow you and check out your work of course of course and uh i'll say it again it's at ghostlier g-h-o-s-t-l-y-r-e and you can find me on twitter and instagram through that handle uh, i post a lot of my own personal artwork up there on twitter i post mainly ramblings and pictures of my dog so if you like cute pictures of dogs go follow me on twitter <laughs> how could you not be sold on that i i love cute pictures of your dog cushion how could you not love cushion a cushion has his own instagram does he not he does. Cushion uh, has his own Instagram. If you'd like to follow him, it's Cushion the Sheltie. Sheltie with an I-E at the end, if you're interested. Thank you so much again, Christian. And uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I really appreciated coming on to the show. That's it for this thrilling, chilling episode of A Jaunty Haunt. If you would like to submit a ghost story, send an email to a jaunty haunt podcast at gmail.com for a chance of having it read on the show, or you can follow a jaunty haunt on Twitter for the latest updates on the podcast. For all things witchy, follow me on Instagram at Eidolon's Kingdom. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N-S underscore K-I-N-G-D-O-M, where you can also find a link in my bio for tarot readings and other witchy services. You can check out my art on Instagram at Eidolon Knight for art and more. That's E-I-D-O-L-O-N underscore N-I-G-H-T. Huge thank you to Brie Paulson for creating the theme for Jaunty Haunt. Beware and take care. <laughs>